Father, you are the high king of heaven. It's wonderful that we can gather and to lift our voice and give you all of the praise, all of the honor. Thank you for the sweet spirit of worship that is in this place. Pray that those even watching online, Lord, have a sense that you are there in their midst. So today we invite you to come and to speak to us, to change us, to change the way we think, which, Lord, we want your spirit then to transform us and change the way that we live based on your word, which is truth. Use this vessel that you have chosen today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I recently celebrated a birthday, in fact, this week, and it got me thinking, you know, we become pretty nostalgic in our generation. And what I mean by that is I am a child of the 80s and 90s. And so when we start hearing music or TV shows and movies and even sports and people and all of that kind of thing, how many of you know we become very nostalgic to our decade? Now, for some of you, I say 80s and 90s and you go, ugh. I mean, you're like, well, that was a horrible decade, the 80s. Some of you, you think back and you get real warm inside to when the 70s. How many of you that's the case, the 70s? All right, a few of you there. And you're already thinking of the songs, you know. Some of you would be the 60s. And you're like, man, that was the decade there. I'm not going to go back any further. I won't pick on Pastor Blaine. Who's with us, you know, and, and then we have the young group that's like, you know, the, the 90s, 2000s and here, you know, for me, again, I, if you're talking movies, like I, I know they've made a bunch of Star Wars movies and the technology, you know, in that first film from, you know, the 76 and those, those were just the best movies. I mean, I don't care how much technology and graphics there are in the new ones, nothing beats Empire Strikes Back to me. Okay. You know, they do the Super Bowl every year and I'm a big Super Bowl person and they always pick, you know, the voice that's popular at the time to sing the national anthem. And for me, it was Whitney Houston. I mean, her singing the national anthem, I don't care how good somebody is, nothing compares to that. Even when you start talking sports, you know, the steel curtain, when you start thinking of the sports, I know we've had some great sports teams, you know, the Steelers, there's been, we've been blessed to have lots of six Super Bowl rings, but the 79 Steelers, you know, Franco Harris and the Steel Curtain. When I think of the Pirates, I mean, we have to go back a little bit, but I was in college in the 92. How many remember that game when Sid Bream is running around and it's just like breaks your, breaks your heart, but you get the point, like, you just, you think back to those days and he's like, man, they just don't make music like that anymore. I mean, I'm old enough to remember even LPs, okay? And it's, what's funny is now that they make LPs because we want to get rid of the digital and go back. So it's funny how things are reciprocal, but you get the point. And oftentimes, you know, whether it's the silly stuff, music, sports teams, all that, we become disappointed as we get older because we often say things like, it's just not like the way it used to be. How many have found themselves guilty of saying that? Well, why do we do this? Why do we say that as we get older? It's just not like things used to be. We always look back and want to go back to that area. Well, because from our perspective, the time in which we lived is very closely attached to our memories. 
And it's personal for us. It's, it's deep in our heart. And as we look at Haggai, once again, as we talked about last week, this also happens in the body of Christ. You see, every generation tends to look back and cherish the days gone by. We long for the good old days, thinking of what God has done in the past and the people that he used to accomplish his purpose. Why do we do this? Well, again, because from our perspective, we believe that those days are better. We, if we could, we'd return to the way that God would move then. We even look at songs when we sing older songs and there's an emotional attachment. We think of the encounters with God, the encounters with Jesus. And sometimes we long for the good old days. And every generation is tempted to value their perspective and look back on the days of old with greater significance than the present. Because from our perspective, those were the glory days. And it's just not the same. Sometimes we even pray, God, if you would only work like that again. Well, this is precisely what happens to the people of God in the second chapter of Haggai. So here is what we are going to find in the second message of Haggai in Haggai 2 verses 1 through 9. The overall theme of Haggai's second sermon and the message for God's people for us today is this, that God's blessing comes when we trust his perspective over our own. So I know I threw a lot of history at you last week and it's really important that to understand Haggai's message, to understand the book of Haggai, you have to know the historical context. And so I'm not gonna spend as much time, but in case you missed last week, and it again is significant for this second chapter, I wanna recap. So remember, Haggai, the book of Haggai begins in the year 520 B.C., but 66 years earlier, 586 BC, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jewish people were exiled and deported to Babylon. Some 50 years later, God speaks to a heathen king named Darius of Persia. And God speaks to this king and he gives the word to, to King Darius to send around 50,000 Jews back to the city of Jerusalem for a purpose. And that purpose was to rebuild the temple that was destroyed earlier. And then as we looked at last week, Haggai begins and we see that 16 years have passed by since the Jewish people returned, 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem. 16 years go by, and only the foundation of the temple had been built. And we discovered that the people were saying, well, now is not the right time to build. And they said that because they had ran into resistance and opposition. But the greater concern that the Lord spoke through Haggai was that they had placed their personal agendas over God, God's priorities by building their own houses while God's house laid in ruins. So God raised up a prophet, prophet named Haggai to awaken his people. And that's what we looked at last week, this small book of Haggai, which consists of only two chapters, less than 40 verses. And that very first message the theme that we talked about last week, and this is significant each week as we go through this, 
The first message of Haggai, if you remember, the message was this, that God's blessing comes when we place his priorities over our personal agendas. And that message is significant for us today that if we desire God's blessing, we need to put his priorities over our personal agendas. And we talked about the errands, specifically at this church, that the Holy Spirit would have us run. Those have to be, take priority over our personal agendas. It's true both individually as Christ followers and for us as a church. So then we finished last week seeing that the people of Israel obeyed God. They responded in obedience and responded in worship and the people of Israel got back to work rebuilding the temple. And God responded by pledging his presence in being with them as they worked. However, as we're gonna discover in just a moment, 30 days now pass into resuming the work of the Lord, into rebuilding the temple, doing what God had called them to do. And all of a sudden, we're gonna see that 30 days later, these people who are building, the Jewish people who are rebuilding are discouraged and disappointed. At least a specific group of them are. And discouragement and disappointment has already set in. And why? Why only 30 days later is a particular group of people among the Jews who are rebuilding discouraged? Because the people of Judah were placing more trust in their perspective than they were God's. So today, we're gonna go straight to the second chapter of Haggai. If you have your Bibles, and if that's on your phone, it's okay. I encourage you to look at it and read it with me. I'm gonna read through all of this, and of course, they will put it on the screen as usual. So follow along with me, if you will. Haggai chapter two, we're gonna read verses one through nine. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now, God asks. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I have made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Our text that we just read, it begins again with a very specific date. Do you remember we started last week with 1-1 and it gave a specific date? It does it again. Let's look at just the first part of that. In the seventh month, 
on the 21st day of the month. Now, again, I mentioned last week the seventh month is different in the Hebrew calendar that it is, that it is ours. So this is the seventh month, October, on the 21st day of the month. So let me give you, be patient with me here, some history on the significance of the seventh month because this is so important as it relates to Haggai's second message and why the people were discouraged or why some of the people were discouraged and disappointed. So here's the things. One, keep in mind that Haggai's first message, our message last week, took place on September 1st, 520 BC. And they resumed work on rebuilding the temple only 23 days later. We read that in the text, you can read it in your Bible. So September 24th, they resumed building. Now we have Haggai's second message coming almost exactly one month later. So they have resumed rebuilding the temple of the Lord, the work that God has called them to do, and they're only 30 days in. But discouragement and disappointment are creeping in with a particular group of people. So to fully grasp the picture, we have to understand this significance of the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar. And there are three things that would have been in the mind of those rebuilding, the Jewish people that were rebuilding the temple in the seventh month, as they're building, there would be three things that were heavy in their mind. And they are one this, three significant dates rather. One is the Feast of Booths. You're like, what is the Feast of Booths? We're not gonna go to it, but later on, if you wanna look at the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus 23 lays out what the Feast of, the feast of Booths were. The Feast of Booths, Booths, it's easy for you to say. It was celebrated in the seventh month, okay? Catch the correlation? The Feast of Booths was celebrated in the seventh month, and it was celebrated between day 15 and day 22. This feast was an eight-day feast during which the people of Israel would sleep in booths as a reminder of the Israelites dwelling in booths after their exodus from, Is from Egypt. The feast would begin with a day of worship in the temple, and it would end with a day in worship on day eight. So let me explain. I know that's a lot of dates. It began on the 15th day of the seventh month, and it ended on the 22nd. It was eight days long. They would have basically a weekend of worship in the temple to kick it off, and they would end it with a worship in the temple. So notice that Haggai's second message was delivered on the seventh day of this feast, one day before they were to have that final worship service in the temple. One day before they were to regather and worship and celebrate in remembering what God did bringing out the people of Israel. You with me? That's the, fest, the Feast of Booths. That would have been on their mind as they're rebuilding. The second thing would have been the anniversary of the return from exile. I spent some time talking about that last week. We looked at the book of Ezra and we saw from the third chapter that the people of Judah, they arrived back after they were exiled Okay, the Persian king sent them back to Jerusalem actually in the seventh month of the Feast of Booths. 
So they were not only celebrating this feast that looked back to God's people being delivered from Egypt, they were also thinking of how God miraculously worked through King Darius of Persia only 16 years earlier to bring them back. Are you with me in all this? It's a lot of dates, but it's right there. And here's the last one. It was also this seventh month, the anniversary of Solomon's temple construction. Again, we're not going to look at it today, but you can go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8, specifically verse 2, it tells us that the original temple was built by King Solomon and it was dedicated in guess what month? Seventh month. Now, this temple, this would have been 450 years earlier. And if you don't know anything about Bible history, what you need to understand is this is the first temple that was built, and this was the one that was destroyed, and now they're rebuilding it. But that original temple, and it's fascinating, if you go back and look at those, uh, like chapters, uh, look at chapters six through eight, it'll tell you all of the detail about King Solomon's temple. And this was a, this was a temple that took 180,000 men seven years to build. 180,000 men, seven years. Right now, they are rebuilding, and there's only 50,000 Jews that have returned to Jerusalem. And they're only 30 days in after having not worked for 16 years. It also says that that old temple, that Solomon, he overlaid all of the inside with gold. I mean, this was an extravagant temple. Not only that, the temple was built during a time of peace, And it was built during a time when Israel was a united kingdom. They weren't split and they were at the height of its political power. So here they are in the seventh month. They've gotten back to work. They're 30 days in and they're remembering this anniversary of Solomon's temple. They're remembering the anniversary of 16 years ago, God bringing them back to rebuild. And they're remembering the feast of booths. And all of this, these very important moments in Israel's history are each tied to the majesty of God's temple in which they are rebuilding. And it's in their thoughts on the eve of their worship gathering. And here's the key. From their perspective, from their eyes, the work they are doing now is nothing compared to the temple before. And that's why a group is discouraged and disappointed. And all of a sudden, God raises up Haggai again, who he used 30 days prior. And he speaks through Haggai. And as we just read in verse 2, the Lord says through Haggai, Speak now to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua, the high priest, and speak to all the remnant of the people. And then what does God say? He actually asks three questions. God asks, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? That was the first question. The second question God says there in the text is, how do you see it now? And the third question is, is it not as nothing in your eyes? So God asks three questions, each with a specific purpose. The first question, he basically, it's a question about people. And he says, who remembers the old temple? Remember, the original temple was destroyed in 586 BC, 66 years earlier. This is so important to grasp. 
Remember, the year's 520 BC. So 66 years ago, the old temple was destroyed and God asks, who remembers the old temple? So if you do the math, there was only a particular group of people of the Israelites who would have remembered. They probably would have been 70, 75 years old or older. And they would have been children when they remembered that old temple. You got me? So God asks, which among you, who remembers that old temple? And they probably would have raised their hand. It would have been everyone over the age of 70, 75. God says, ask the second question. He said, okay, for you who remember, how does it look to you now? God asks a question about perspective. He didn't ask, how do you think this, this new temple that you're building looks to me? He asked the group who remembered the old temple, how does this new temple look to you now? He's asking a question of perspective. They were only 30 days into restarting construction and only the foundation was laid. And God was saying, what do you see? God's asking that group who remembered, what is your perspective on what I'm doing right now? And then God asked the final question to that group. Does it seem like nothing? And this is a question God asks about trust. Because obviously for the group who remembered the old temple, as they were rebuilding, they did remember what it was like and their perspective was off because God wouldn't have asked, does it seem like nothing if they didn't think it was nothing? There were those who remembered the old temple and they looked at the current condition. They looked at the current work and they found it incomparable to the previous work of the Lord. You see, in their minds, they were beginning to believe that the former glory had passed away and the best days were behind them, not in front of them. How often do we experience the same type of discouragement in our faith? As I mentioned in the introduction, I joked about songs and movies and TV shows and people. But in our faith, in our journey, we often look back at our personal encounters and seasons in the life of the church and the body of Christ. And we look back and we say, God, we want to return to that. Would you do that again? And we put more significance and priority on that than we do what God is doing in our midst. We easily romanticize the past, not that it wasn't meaningful, not that God didn't do significant work, but is especially dear to us because we were there in the midst of that. And we think those were the good old days. Man, we don't have movements. Man, we don't have people like that anymore. However, did you know the Bible calls out that type of thinking? In the book of Ecclesiastic, which many believe this particular verse was written by King Solomon, who built that first temple. Ecclesiastic chapter 7, verse 10 says this. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. The Bible says we shouldn't say, why were the old days better than they are now? Man, I wish we could return back. God, would you do again then? Would you do now what you did then? So how does God respond to this disappointment in the hearts of his people? Well, he says this, yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong. He says, Joshua, high priest, be strong. All the people of the land, declares the Lord, 
He tells them to be strong. And then he says, after three times of saying be strong, he says, work. Get back to work. Be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. And then he says, my spirit remains with you, so don't fear. Three times God says, be strong. And this was a command given repeatedly to the Israelites. He gave it to them as they were about to conquer the land of Canaan. It continued to appear throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, God says to his people, and he says to you and I, be strong. But then he moves and says, work. Set your eyes back on the task that I have put before you. If we place our eyes on the task, on the errands that God has called us to run and stop looking back, we can be strong in the work that God has told us to. You can't do the work that God's called you to if your eyes are looking back. And then when we do that, he assures us and he says, I am with you. My spirit is with you. I find it fascinating that remember, this is the Old Testament. They were rebuilding the temple of the Lord where God's presence dwelt in a physical building. This is before the cross. But even without the temple being built, he tells the Israelites, even though the temple is being rebuilt and it's not fully yet, my spirit is with you. So you don't have to fear. God basically says, I've got this. Trust me. I see things that you don't. It may not look like the former glory to you, but I see what you don't. I have a perspective that you are unable to see. And then God says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts and then he says the latter glory of this house the future glory he tells them is going to be greater than the former your future glory is going to be greater than the past, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God, God says, it's all mine. All gold, all authority, all power is mine. Again, I've got this. Just trust me. Trust my eyes and my view and my perspective. God's blessing comes when we trust his perspective over our own. And although God's people feared the glory of the rebuilt temple would never match the old temple, God promises the opposite. He says, you can't see it in your eyes. It looks worse than the temple 450 years ago. But God promises and said, no, the latter will be greater. Although they felt small, they, they felt frail, they felt insignificant, especially when compared to those around them and even their own, the Lord assures them greater things are still to come. And in this, is, this is a word, remember, that was targeted to an older group. 
Just like we talked about at the beginning, as we begin to get older, we tend to look back and long for the old days. And God calls this group out, these older, mature saints who remembered the previous temple, and he says, do not get discouraged. Do not be disappointed. Don't question the work I'm doing here, even though you can't see it and tell this perspective with your own eyes, because I have a perspective that you don't see. And he says, the latter will be greater. There's a portion of scripture, even in the New Testament, that talks about it, and I want to close with this. It's found in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus talks about wineskins. Now, this is kind of a modern-day wineskin. Don't worry, there's water in here, not wine. Unless Jesus has done a miracle. But this would have been similar to a wineskin that they would have carried during Jesus' day, and it's made out of leather. And what happened, before we get to the text that's probably familiar to you, John the Baptist, who you should know, had disciples. And, and the disciples of John the Baptist had been watching the disciples of Jesus. And he noticed that Jesus' disciples did not fast. And that was really important to the disciples of John the Baptist. So they go to Jesus and they challenge him. And they say, hey, why aren't your disciples fasting? Why aren't they doing ministry like we are? Fasting was significant. It was significant for the Pharisees. It was significant for the Sadducees. It was significant for the Jewish rulers of the, the Jewish leaders of the day. But Jesus' disciples weren't doing that. So they questioned Jesus. And Jesus gives them a couple answers. He talks about clothing. And then he gets to this verse that you may be familiar with, and he compares it to a wineskin. And Jesus says this, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. What does that mean? So here's the thing. A wineskin is made out of leather. And what would happen is when they would put wine in a wineskin, as the wine ferments, the grape juice, the wine expands and it would stretch the leather. So the bag would get bigger. Well, here was the problem. If you emptied an old wineskin that was already stretched, and if you put new wine in it, and that new wine now fermented and expanded, it would destroy the old wineskin because it was already stretched too far. But how many know the most significant thing about the wine and the wineskin is not the container, it's the fruit inside. And Jesus was saying, don't be as concerned about the container as you are the fruit. Don't be as concerned about the methodology as you are what's inside and the fruit. And it was the same message that Haggai gave to the people of Israel. We're doing this work, and you remember what the temple used to be, and it was beautiful, and it was glorious. And I built it through Solomon and the people of Israel, and it's had its purpose in its day. But now God says, I'm doing something new. And don't minimize it because it looks differently than what I did then. And let me say this. I told you that the Lord really gave me this book of Haggai in correlation with the vision for the community hub. And you may be going, okay, how does that relate? Well, let me remind you, first of all, last week, we talked about priority and how God blessings come 
only when we place God's priorities over our own personal agendas. And I really believe that as we look in the next year, year and a half to have completion of this hub, God will only bless not just the hub, but the ministry of this church and our fellowship if we continue to place God's priorities over our personal agendas. And I said that we've got to run the errands that God has for us, and that has to be first and foremost on our thoughts. Well, here's the thing. This is about perspective. And specifically, I'm going to share with some of you who have been here for years and, 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 and have, you remember the former days. And you may be tempted to look back and go, God, those were the greater days. Those were the songs. Those were the methods. I remember, why can't we go back to, would you do that again? As we get older, we'll be tempted to do that. As God calls us to build this hub, it is going to open an incredible amount of ministry opportunity. I told you, it's a culture changer for us. It's going to build a culture of community. It's going to strengthen together now all of a sudden as we grow in the Lord. It's going to strengthen our community with one another. It's going to strengthen our community with our neighbors. And as we fulfill and seek to fill God's great commission and sharing the good news with people and ministering, our methods are going to have to be different. And so I share with you that as we do that, if they look different, you will be tempted to look back and go, that's not how we did it before. But remember, the fruit is more important than the container. The fruit of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ is more important than the methodology in that. You with me? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great reminder that all of us tend to see things from our own perspective and we cherish and value that oftentimes more than we trust your perspective. We have a very limited view. I pray that for all of us, you would help us in doing that that we would trust your perspective over than our view. And Lord, as we continue to talk about the hub and as you continue to work through and we see that to its completion, that we would be a people that focuses on the fruit, that we would see fruit of new salvations, people coming to know you. We would see the fruit of people being healed, people being delivered, transformed lives, marriages healed, relationships that were broken healed, people who are deliver, be delivered, we would see that. And Lord, we open ourselves up to the move of God that you have for us right now, even if it looks different than it has before. Let it be so in your name, amen.